Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. If I could just remind you, Kieran, that the purpose of the show, as I just said, is to look at the money behind the beautiful game and in no way mention the beautiful game, which at the moment isn't in any way, shape or form. We got that, Kieran? Just the money. I know it's the important part for you, but we're just looking at the money behind the beautiful game. How are you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty grumpy. I put 20 oh. quid on us to lose yesterday and Danny Ings scored a winning goal. So, uh, you know, as usual, my side let me down. Well, it's, it serves you right. Danny, Danny Ings plays for... You You won, didn't you? I think we may have done, yes. Yeah. How did Danny Ings score? How did it was his own goal? No, 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 no. I, 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 it, was, it was Danny Ings to score the winning goal for West Ham. Oh, well, Kieran, you know what I'm going to say. It serves you right, then, in that case. <laughs> yes. You do it, yeah. <laughs> And also, you'd rather take the, the 20 quid hit and win. Oh, yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take that, yeah. So you put a bit on Brighton to lose and Danny Ings to score. The it's, it's, it gets more specific every time we mention your despicable <laughs> your despicable theory. All right, our first question, Kieran. And uh, I'm looking forward to our second question, Kieran, because trumpets, <laughs> okay, yes. trumpets sounded when that question came <clears throat> Not for me, for you. Um, but Tom McCormick has our first question. And it's a question that uh, is becoming increasingly relevant, especially you know those of you who watched the Man City Newcastle game on Saturday will understand what I'm talking about. Tom McCormick says, "I'm always surprised that in matches where most advertising is aimed at the multinational TV audience, the hoardings haven't just become green screens. This would allow different advertising rights in different markets, solving issues such as certain products not being allowed to be advertised in a particular country." Companies only operating in certain countries, etc. Am I smart, or would it be likely just be more complicated for little or no extra revenue? I think we should probably explain, Kieran, to some people who maybe operate in the world of numbers and, and don't understand the ethereal nature of this sort of thing. That a green screen is basically just, <clears throat> as it says, it's a plain green screen onto which you can uh, put any picture you like essentially so mm-hmm. you can say as you go into the amazon because you can just put a picture of the amazon on the green screen and it looks like you're in the amazon um and of course Kim, that's right theater's uh, green rooms are called green rooms oh because it was the last room in the theater in which you could wear the color green because in the limelight in the early theaters the limelight was actually uh, it was sort of lime type gas that provided the limelight 
um, which was green. So if you wore green on stage, you disappeared. There you are. And, and wow. this, is, this, is, this is the one BAFTA won't be listening to. I can guarantee it. <laughs> so is, is Tom I've, Smart. I've, or, I've been to the Amazon. What? I, 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 went, I went to the Amazon in oh, 1991. <laughs> um, I went to the Peruvian Manu National Reserve in search of the giant river otter. Uh, of, of which there's only about a hundred mating pairs left, and it was one of those really surreal moments. And we we're out there. We we're, we're on a we we're on a raft. We didn't want to make any noise. We just had a raft and a and a pole to sort of push us through. Uh, and we saw a mother with four or five baby, and and it, and it was worth it being eaten alive by mosquitoes for three oh. weeks just for that sort of really incredible moment. Uh, and and we we were we were we were camping. On the on the banks of the one of the tributaries to the Amazon, um, and I remember sort of waking up about eleven o'clock at night and need, needing to make a visit. So we we had this uh, this area where we did our visits, um, and, and you go out with a little torch, and all you can see is the eyes of the the caiman, the their version of of crocodiles, mm. all basking. Uh, and you'd see dozens of them. Uh, yeah, they, they weren't too big; they're only sort of about three or four feet. But it was it was it was very surreal and scary. I mean, you're okay at night because they are they're cold blooded animals. They don't tend to move at night, so therefore you'd be safe. But it was really very very spooky indeed. Oh, well, also in those days, Kieran, you you were quite lanky, a bit stringy. Well, <laughs> yeah, not a lot of meat on me. Yeah, it's it's no wonder, Kieran. It's no wonder these otters aren't mating. It's people like you blundering around the jungle trying to catch <laughs> trying to catch with you. I had forgotten, oddly enough, I had forgotten he'd been to the Amazon in the, in the same way that during a, a writing meeting once, uh, the subject of the film Das Boot came up. Uh, and somebody, uh, somebody, one of the producers went, ah, oh, I've never been in a submarine. And then about a minute later he went, no, hang on, yes, I have. It's like, how, the, how can you forget having been in a submarine? <laughs> anyway, Tom, we had, we've forgotten the question. A green screen. Is Tom being smart or is this more complicated for little or no extra revenue? Well, Tom Tom is smart, um, but uh, the football industry is already there. Thanks to, and I quote, virtual replacement perimeter technology, Ah. which was introduced in 2017 by by both the Premier League and the EFL. Um, But because we've now got – I mean, it doesn't work for everything, but because we now have – um, LED adverts. Uh, it is possible to, to localize them. It does help in in terms of revenue, and and also from you know, as Tom rightly points out, that given that certain products are prohibited in certain geographical areas, it it does allow um, for uh, sort of targeted adverts for individual regimes and individual geographical areas um, and and it raises extra money um, so yeah it has it has been around it uh, uh, I think it is a further indication that uh, football clubs will will use whatever it takes to to try to to, to marginally increase their revenues and uh, expect it to, to increase although I, I I probably the same as you I just feel very uncomfortable seeing those double size uh, perimeter mm. adverts at, at the Etihad. I know it's only on one. Uh, I know it's only on, on, on one of the stands, which, which is called the one we work with, which ones which face the the TV audiences, and and they probably get three times as much money for twice as you know twice as much space because they are very striking. But it's not football, is it? So, are you saying then, Kieran, that if Liverpool were to be playing Newcastle, 
if I was watching it live in Dublin, I might be seeing a different advert at exactly the same time to someone who is watching it in Riyadh, for example. But potentially, if this this is my understanding, right, okay. um, certainly I've I've seen the. The, the, the photographs of of a particular match you know, unless somebody's on a, on a gigantic windup I, I, yeah. I know I know that the the marketing ad you know the marketing industry is is very innovative so uh, this, this is a logical thing to do and if not if I got it wrong then then I think Tom's approach you can see the merits of that as well well absolutely in terms of revenue I, I always find it quite intriguing at Tottenham especially you see a lot of adverts that you can't decipher fascinating to work out what they're what they're actually advertising mm. um now kieran here's a question yeah. <laughs> every now and again we get a question kieran that i think this is a good question i really like this question i'm going to engage with this question and every now and again we get a question that literally clouds of angels in, <laughs> dressed as a dressed as accountants yeah <laughs> i was gonna say the clipboards is in my Which... in my in my world accountants always have clipboards but um it comes from kane baker and Kane Baker's question is a simple one, Kieran. Kane Baker says, my question is about capital allowances. Are there any available to clubs when they sign a new player? And what tax relief do clubs get around transfers? Now, my only thought on that is, is I wonder whether capital allowances was the same as London waiting, but then I decided probably wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. Uh, c- capital allowances is uh, HMRC's version of depreciation so because they don't trust the accountants when they're trying to say well how long should a car last or a computer that they have their own rules but when it comes to football transfers um you only get capital allowances on what we refer to as property plant and uh machinery so you know certain buildings vehicles computers you know things with things which you can things which you can tap effectively um with with football players, yeah, we, we, we've said that. I think a common misnomer is that people believe you are buying the football player when you pay a transfer fee, but actually you are transferring the player's registration certificate with the the local football association, which gives that club the unique right to employ that player. The player is unable to play for any other club unless you give permission via the form of you, you take financial compensation. So um, as far as HMRC are concerned, the rules that they employ is that they just say, we will follow the accounting. And therefore, they use the same rules as we have for amortization in, in respect of players. So if you sign a £50 million player on a five-year contract uh, for tax purposes, you'd say, well, the accountants are amortising at ten million a year, so therefore we will give you a ten million a year allowance. Now, in terms of Kane's second question, what tax release do clubs get around transfer? Um, this this always allows me to introduce the slightly sniggersome um, concept of what's referred to as a rollover relief, um, which is uh, which is. <clears throat> you said that something with, to do with tax. You said that with some relish, Kieran. That's what I'm laughing. <laughs> yes. Um, um, and, and and the way that rollover relief works is as follows: is that if you sell a player at a profit, um, in, instead of having to pay tax, if you reinvest the money, if you reinvest the sale proceeds into buying new players within the next three years, 
then you can effectively um, knock it off against your purchase. So let, let's say that you, let, let, to, to make it simple, let's say that we, we've got an academy player who cost us nothing. We, we sell for £40 million and you then buy a player for £50 million. What you can do is say, well, we're not going to be taxed on the £40 million worth of profit on the player we've sold because we've reinvested it in, in the new player. And then if you sell that new player, provided, again, within three years, you buy another replacement so it's sort of it's kicking it down the it's kicking it down the road as as often as you can before you finally pay tax um there is is however um and i'm indebted to the the people who who run some of these specialist websites and and i i like specialist websites as you can imagine kevin um but i spent the morning on tax journal market leading insight for tax experts and uh they've got a they got a whole area on on uh, on this particular topic. Um, there, there's there's a particular interest when it comes to signing Spanish players oh. because the transfer rules in Spain are different to those of the rest of Europe and, and the UK and so, so on. In Spain, the player buys themselves out of the contract and then can sign for a new club. Right. Now. If you if you mess up, if uh, let let's say that that Manchester United okay. are signing Frankie de Jong from uh, Barcelona this summer, if Manchester United say, well, Frankie Frankie's got a buyout clause, and in all Spanish transfers uh, that the individual player will have in their contract a buyout clause. Yeah. So let's say that Frankie de Jong's uh, buyout clause is eighty million pounds. What will normally happen is if you're buying from France, if you're buying from Belgium, buying from Italy, uh, the the buying club gives the selling club 80 million. In Spain, it's slightly different. The football player has to give his employer 80 million pounds and then gets that 80 million um, from, from the buying club. If you give the player the 80 million, then that's deemed to be part of the player's employment contract, potentially. And if therefore it's part of the player's earnings, there can be huge tax issues in terms of national insurance, PAY, and so on. So you've really got to be very, very careful when when doing Spanish transfers. And you've got to make sure that the money never ends up, even for a even for the even for a microsecond, in the bank account of the player. Otherwise you've got a huge uh, potential tax issue uh, if, if HMRC come a knocking. Uh, I, I'm on a bound to suggest, Kieran, that you might like to um change that description anything you could tap because i could tap harry kane he wouldn't like it but i could <laughs> yes. do it so i just want to get my head around this the capital allowance depreciation thing here so a, a friend of mine has a, a small business manufacturing uh, sports shirts made mm-hmm. cricket shirt. and so he bought a big piece of equipment recently um for printing or whatever it was so it's a, yep. it's a big outlay he pays vat on that so how does depreciation affect that? Does it, are you saying that if, he's, if he sells that in three years' time, he pays less tax on, on any earnings from it? Is that how it works, are we saying? Well, it, it, will, be, it will be slightly different. Because if, if you think about it, if you're buying a piece of machinery yeah. for your business, let, let's say he pays, 100, he pays 100 grand for a piece of machinery, it's going to last him five years. Yeah. Um, under the capital allowance rules, um, the government will either allow you 
a fixed amount of money or they'll allow you a, a fixed percentage of the cost to set off against the uh, set off against the profits from running the business. Oh, I see. And, okay. and, and also you normally say, well, at the end of four or five years, the what, what you can do with that piece of machinery, you'll you'll get you know, one of Uncle Terry's mates to, to take it off your hands and take it to a scrapyard and, and dispose of it um, you know, uh, environmentally. Of course, okay. They 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 won't fly tip it because they're 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 honourable guys. Um, but with a footballer, it's different because if if you sign a football player on a five year contract and that football player turns out to be quite tasty, then then you can sell at a profit. Whereas you, you don't tend to do that that with with machinery. So you, you, things like rollover relief really aren't an issue um, for. Uh, manufacturers because you tend to be selling scrap and you're getting scrap value for it with footballers right, because right. you can sell them a profit things are slightly slightly reversed right okay uh, our next question comes from ollie k um and it's an interesting one actually and it's it, it caused me to look at something in a in a new light it didn't change my mind but i did at least look at it in a new light um and ollie says you always bemoan the way that clubs and players launch fan tokens in a way that suggests they are investments and have some sort of intrinsic value. I wonder if there are any players or clubs that have launched fan tokens in the right way and have fully explained the reality clearly to fans at the same time. Also, has Kieran tried the Higgity Cheddar and Onion Chutney Veggie Rolls? I think he would like them. Now, obviously, two-thirds of the way through that question, I was thinking, that's an interesting one for Molly. I'm going to have a look here and, and... think, investigate whether there are any clubs who have done it in the right way and decided no. And then I thought, why has Ollie not asked me whether I've tried the Higgity Cheddar mm. and Onion Chutney Veggie Rolls? Because now, if I do try them, I won't like them. Just to spite Ollie. It's as simple as do, that. Do, like, do, so, do you, do you, do you think this is a way of trying to get around our sponsorship arrangements? Oh, yeah, because I have mentioned Because Ollie yeah. might work for Higgity Cheese and Onion. Well, you know, to be fair to him, if he does, well done, Ollie. Congratulations. <laughs> You're thinking outside the box when it comes to yes. advertising to a target audience who I suspect aren't necessarily waking up in the morning thinking about a higgity cheddar and honey and chutney veggie rolls. Uh, but in the same way that people said to me, you've got to watch The Wire. You have to watch The Wire. Yes, I, I, I hated it from the first 10 minutes. In. No. No, oh, I couldn't stand it. Same with uh, Happy Valley or whatever that terrible thing was called. Oh, good great! Uh, Omar Little is is my he's one of my all time heroes. I don't remember the names, Kieran. I might be Breaking Bad. I don't know. Same thing. (laughs) Tell me to watch it, and I'll decide I don't like it. Fifteen minutes in, Happy Valley. So it's not. If somebody turns you down for a loan, your first response is not to have their daughter kidnapped. (laughs) Anyway, um, are there clubs, Kieran, that are launching? I mean, certainly the, the. when Palace launched Socios, the warnings were certainly there. To be fair, they, they the whole thing started with a five-page warning about what could go wrong if you use this as a gambling or investment bet. But that's, I'm not entirely sure. That's If you're opposed to the sort of concept in the way that I am, I think it's hard to accept that some clubs will be doing it the right way. But am I wrong? I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to them in I, theory. It's sort of yeah. You know, it's it's a glorified form of panini card, and also having just seen that the price of a first class stamp is going up to one pound oh, and no. ten pence. Yeah, you know, and and as an ex stamp collector, yeah, you know, I, I I'm mortified. I I used to collect whole sheets of stamps back in the day. Now, but I'd be 
I may have to get a second mortgage to. Well, also, do you know what infuriates me about that, Kieran? Is that who who sends letters? I'll tell you who sends letters. My eighty-five-year-old auntie Pat sends letters. Yep. My ninety-year-old auntie Audrey sends letters. It's they're the people getting penalised. This assumption that oh, everyone else is emailing, that's fine. It's ludicrous. So those poor women who can't wait for birthdays or Christmas so they can get in touch with people, maybe the only time of year, it's, mm. it's going to be ruinous for them. It's just shameful. Anyway, off you go. Um, so having a, a digital Panini card or a you know, a digital program or, or, or something like that, which, which in theory you know, will come with a serial number and that serial number gets entered into a drawer, it, it's no different from what we used to do in, in, in the physical form. Um, when we were growing up as as fans, you know, you'd have you'd have your halftime draw, and you, remember, you used to have that bloke walking around the perimeter of the ground, yeah. and everybody would think it hilarious every single match. So, Get that bloody thing down! I can't see the football, you know, and and that was that 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 was part of the game. Yeah. And I I I you know I paid my you know ten pence at times to to do that, and and occasionally win some sort of you know assigned program. And if the the NFTs are going to be marketed as that, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, what I find uncomfortable is, and, and we've just seen that there's a really good article in the Athletic this week weekend by by Joey Durso. Jo- Joey Joey is not a fan mm. of uh, the, the the industry, shall we say, that, that surrounds the world of crypto. Um, and he's got exactly the same reservations as me. Is that it's the it's the nudge nudge wink wink um, relationship. So Paul Pogba's NFTs, um, yeah, it's it's launched with a bang. It's all it's very glamorous. You've got the player saying, yeah, yeah, these are my products, and uh, and, and people people have an element of trust with celebrity. It, it could be argued. That you shouldn't do that, and you know, and I, you know, part of me, the cynical part of me, now, but but I'm reasonably financially sophisticated. You know, the cynic in me says, if you're going to take financial advice from John Terry and Paris Hilton, then frankly, <laughs> you get all you deserve. But there are some people that get suckered into. Uh, you know, they they live in uh, you know, a slightly different environment. They. Their, their, their news and, and, and information isn't coming. You know, I, I still watch the BBC News every night. Or, yeah. um, you know, other people say, well, I've never read a newspaper. I'll, I'll look at YouTube. I look at Instagram. That, that's, that's how I pick up my, my, my understanding of, of, of the broader world. And, and therefore, you are going to be presented with these. And they are going to be not explicitly sold as investments, but as soon as the the initial picture goes up, um, that's when the crypto bros pile <clears> yeah. in, mm. and it's by the drop. This is a guarantee, you know, it, And and you, you go, well, who's who, who's going to be foolish enough to believe this? Well, you know, for people that that don't have a financial education, and I do think that a lack of financial education is. is one of the, the the shameful things about our, our much broader education system, yeah. um, 
is that they will see it and they say, well, you know, Paul Pogba's a success, Paris Hilton's a success, John Terry's a success, and so on. They wouldn't put their name to these things unless they felt that they were worthwhile, when, when actually, you know, the chances are it's just another paycheck for the individuals concerned. Um, it, it's just another, you know, it's just another endorsement. Um, and, and they end up losing money. So I, I, I don't have any issue with the idea of tokens as a form of engagement, as as a way of uh, buying a club lottery ticket, but it should be seen as that. And in exactly the same way as I wouldn't encourage anybody to go and spend their month's salary on scratch cards because scratch cards aren't an investment, it's a lottery, don't spend money on these things, thinking they're an investment. And, and the tragedy reading Joey Durso's article is that there's people, and I've got to be careful here because I sound like Pat being patronising, xenophobic, but these people are often in, in in other geographical markets and it's being sold completely differently there. Yeah. Uh, we're very much a hard sell and, and, they, and they've stuck in you know, a month or two's you know, of salary and let's face it they're not on big money to begin with um and and they end up losing everything and of course you know the football player football players don't want anybody to lose money yeah they're making no accusations with regards to the individuals concerned but yeah they'd be completely unaware of what's going on yeah interesting that you used to collect stamina collecting runs in your family uncle terry collected banknotes i believe didn't he <laughs> yes um what does what does buy the drop mean, Kieran? For those of you who aren't financially sophisticated, ah, right. as you say, buy the drop. This, this is um, if if a if a if a price of something is tanking, right? What do you what do you do? So let's say that, that for example, Manchester United share price has dropped from twenty seven dollars to twenty dollars um, as it appeared that the Glazers were starting to get cold feet with regards to selling the club. Yeah. Um, and therefore, some people will say, oh, well, it can't keep going down. So therefore, if, if you buy now, it will start bouncing back. Um, and, and that's quite common in the crypto industry uh-huh. when uh, a product is launched, the share price collapse or the price of the, the crypto product collapses. And then you get the, the, the internet experts uh, who uh, you know, don't actually have any sustainable reason or, or, or any concrete reason for saying that there's an inherent value in these products saying well if you buy them now um you you'll it will start to to return upwards and you know if, if you've seen trading places with eddie murphy it's it's not dissimilar to what eddie murphy did in in the film and, and if you if you shout loud enough that something is going to go up then people or some people will start believing you and of course once they start to buy that's when you sell um because you, you you've just suckered them into uh, into buying something which is of no inherent value. Can I tell you why I've not watched Trading Places, Kieran? It's because so many people said to me, you have to watch Trading Places. Um, my accountant, as you know, Bobby Numbers, listens to this show, and he'll be over the moon that you gave that advice about not buying scratch cards, as because he's always <laughs> saying that. And I'm always saying to him, look, one of these scratch cards could pay my next tax bill. You never know. Um, do you know what I don't, what I don't like about socios, Kieran? Mm-hmm. It's it's not just the fact that they hide the financial risk. It's the fact that they the launch of these things always implies to a fan that you're not a proper fan of the club unless mm. you're buying this beer mug with Will Sahar's autograph on it. They, you can go to every home and away game, but there's a still 
And it creates a division because so often the buying of this socio gives you a chance to meet the manager of the club when every fan should have a chance mm. to meet the manager of the club. Um, but we need to move on, Kieran, because we do have other questions. Um, but one final one. Have you tried the cheddar and onion chutney veggie roll? Not, not yet, but um, I, I need to... Uh, I, I need to pop down to Waitrose because I'm, I'm making some ceviche tonight, and I've run out of I've run out of organic limes, so I'll I'll, I'll get some um, when I'm there. Yeah, you don't make ceviche, Kieran. You're just squirting acid on a fish. Uh, so, yeah. No, no, you got to have you got to have the right. You got to, you've got to the squirt right. from the right height. Yeah, 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 it's, it's 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 the background flavours that matter. You, you've got to have a, 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 a little bit of palm sugar, a little bit of coriander, some some ground pepper. Are you trying to garlic. get you trying to get around the Baroness for some reason? <laughs> yes, yeah, we're, we're I'm, I'm I'm working all week in Liverpool, oh, and we're we're at Elland Road on Saturday. So so why don't I just come home? Why don't you just go and stay overnight on Friday night and come home on the Saturday yeah, yeah. after the match? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Mark Stottard says, when the owner of a football club announces that he or she is putting the club up for sale, what does that actually mean? Is it a waiting game that they're simply hoping this announcement alone will see interested parties come forward? Or is it a more active strategy usually adopted to market the club? And could a sales agent be appointed to find a buyer? Well, certainly sales agents are appointed on a regular basis because we presently have the Rain Group who were effectively appointed by a combination of Roman Abramovich and the UK government to sell Chelsea Football Club. And and they are now operating on behalf of at least some of the Glazer family um, with with regards to to Manchester United. Um, It's a strange one because... um, in the world of mergers and acquisitions, and, that, and that's effectively where we are in, in, in the football space, um, there are people constantly pitching. I mean, I, I probably get once or twice a month contacted by people either on a buy side or a sell side saying, you know, what do you think this club is worth? Uh, if we were to put it up for sale, what do you think we should be trying to get? Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm just a teacher. Yeah, you know, so I don't know why they're asking. But the people people assume I know a lot more than I actually do. <laughs> um, 
and, and this this is for clubs. I go, well, I didn't didn't know. And I said, yeah, we're not we're not actively putting it up for sale. We're just testing the water. Uh-huh. And it's and if you think about you know the main asset that that many people own, it's it's their house. Now, if if somebody walks up my drive and offers me a ridiculous amount of money for our house, um, I'll, I'll ask the Baroness what to do because you know you know as long as I've got Wi Fi. Um, I don't really care where I live, um, but you know, uh, if if so, if so it, it doesn't mean that the house is up for sale. But but it's it's open to offers, and you know, you know, with regards to Palace, there are a constant swirl of yeah. stories yeah. that uh, such and such a person is willing to sell their shares, and that gives us an overall value of Palace at around about two hundred and forty, two hundred and fifty million would appear to be the overall asking price. Does that mean that Palace is actively up for sale? No, but uh, yeah, if, if if you want to have a conversation, then that's what you need to be talking about in terms of price to to Textor and, and to Steve Parish and, and to the others and so on. So so that that, that is the position we're in with, with a huge number of clubs because um, it's it's a bit like owning a racehorse from a financial point of view. The on, the only two interesting days the day that you buy it and the day that you sell it and everything in between is, is pretty much of a, of a, of a loss making exercise and, and some people have reached that point where you know, they're fed up of the abuse given that they are subsidizing the club they they've run out of money they're under pressure from their family because you know, the owner themselves are getting stressed or they've just reached the age where they feel that it, it's appropriate to move on so there's there's normally sort of a a formal reason for saying that the club is up for sale, but quite often, um, and you know, I know half a dozen clubs at present who uh, the owners are quietly saying, oh, "We're not selling, selling, but we're not not selling." If if anybody's <laughs> interested, yeah. um, our next question, Kieran, comes from Jivan Karakal. Uh, apologies, Jivan, if I pronounce that wrongly. Um, it, it, it is a question, Kieran. It's a question that's topical, which is why I'm happy to discuss it. Um, but there's also a bit of background before we get to the actual question. But I think it's right to 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 go through that. As Jeevan says, I'm a Manchester United fan and I work in finance. I personally think that football clubs should be run for utilitarian reasons and not profit, and that there should be rules against football clubs being listed because that inherently prevents on-field success from being the priority. That being said. One thing that I hear a lot is people are angry at the Glazers because they added a load of debt to United's balance sheet. In reality, though, that's how most deals work in any industry, i.e. a leveraged buyout. And realistically, any takeover that removes the Glazers, given the value of United, would also probably require a large amount of debt finance. Also, whilst the club will have to service the debt in the meantime, the outstanding balance will affect the Glazers' equity value upon exit anyway. Please, because you've discussed this on the podcast for clarity and give your thoughts on whether you agree or do you think that somebody could actually pay for United in cash. It's, um, it's also topical because one, one of our WhatsApp Palace groups is one normally quite intelligent chap who insists that Palace should get into as much debt as it takes to buy better players, which is not something we all agree with. But I'd be interested to see what you have to say about the United case, Kim. Um Right. In the case of the Glazer family, a leverage buyout has is likely to prove to be one of the most spectacularly successful corporate acquisitions in the sporting world of all time. Wow. Because 
they yeah they, they paid seven hundred and seventy million pounds for the club seven hundred and seventy to seven hundred and ninety of which they probably put in about sixty or seventy themselves, and they're going to walk away if there is a wholesale. With uh, if Manchester United is sold for five billion, they've got sixty nine percent of the shares, so they're they're probably going to walk away with three and a half billion pounds for a. 60 or 70 million pound initial cost and they've taken dividends since then they've they've sold shares when it suited them um so leverage buyouts are common in in the mergers and acquisition world they are common for two reasons first of all there are tax advantages because if you borrow money and you pay interest on those borrowings interest is tax deductible as as an expense against the profits of the organization. Whereas if you pay for it out of your own money and you pay yourself dividends, then then that's not tax deductible. So there are are tax advantages. And without going into the maths, um, you you make a much higher percentage return if you sell the the company as a profit. So is it common in other industries? Yes, it is. under a normal leverage buyout, you'd probably be looking to get out of the business within three to five years to make your money. And, and this is where I think we're different in respect to the Glazers. I, I worked out the sums before coming on the show. Um, and the downside, and I think this is what angers many Manchester United fans, is that since the Glazer family acquired Manchester United in 2005, the interest cost on those borrowings has been £1.01 million per week. So that is what's gone to the banks. A million pounds a week week? has gone in in a week. Jeez. Um, And you say, well, that, you know, remember, you've got got some players at Manchester United who are on a third of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah, the you, and you can understand it, and I've and I've said this before. Uh, yeah, Manchester United, Old Trafford. Yeah, I'm, I'm I used to live in Wadley Range. I used to I used to walk to Old Trafford in 1980 to go. I used to watch United and City on on a regular basis when I was a student. Live, live close to the place. Yeah, and it, it's not a, a wealthy part of Manchester, but the stadium itself is uh, yeah is 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 spectacular. But it, it is it is so far behind the times. Yeah. Um, so it needs a huge investment. Would that one million pounds a week have been better invested um, under the Glazer regime on on making it a better experience for fans as opposed to just to trying to cram them in like sardines as, as they currently do? So so that's that's where my irritation and, and anger lies. Um, it, it's no different in many respects to buying a house. You know. It, it, I couldn't have bought you know, my my first house bought with with a hundred percent mortgage, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and then you hope to sell on, and, and over time you you hope to to to, to improve your financial situation and uh, and get some equity into your house. Um, so so that's that's where we are as far as the Glazers are concerned. Now, in respect of Jeevan's comments, could you have a cash buyer? Well, I, I think I think we can because. Uh, there is the opportunities. There is, there is the potential for Qatari investment um, under Islamic finance. Uh, you you don't have the concepts of loans and interest as such. It it, it is a a, a slightly more uh, nuanced uh, form of funding, and, and also um, the I think Sheikh Jazim 
uh, if his wealth is as it is claimed to be, he could buy Manchester United effectively through uh, his his existing resources or his family resources and not have to to further borrow. Um, and I think this is one of the things which distinguishes the two of the the known bidders. And, and there are more bidders, by the way, who, who uh, you know, want to go under the radar, and you have to respect that. Um, I think uh, the, the Qatari bid is is likely to be a cash bid um, uh, with, with the aim of repaying the existing debt. Uh, Jim Ratcliffe's deal, there's no evidence that they're going to, to repay the existing loans. And indeed, it could be that they're going to take on further borrowing to, to buy out the existing shareholders. So um, it, it is possible, Jeevan. I understand that working in finance, uh, you, you you are familiar with the concept of debt and leverage buyouts. And I've said on, on the show on many an occasion, there's nothing wrong with debt inherently because we've all got it Um the issue with debt is you've got stated repayment payments, and if and if you cannot make the the due payments on the due date, you've then got a financial challenge, um, and and you've got problems arising. Our next question, Kieran, comes from an old friend who we haven't heard of for some time, Benjamin Toast, who, as we've ascertained on previous pods, uh, should really be called Benny Toast, and should be a nineteen forties band leader. He's, Um, Benjamin Toast says, we've all got our heads around amortisation. Speak for yourself, Benjamin. Uh, (laughs) And he he adds, apologies if I was looking out the window and this bit was covered. Welcome to my world. Join the club. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens when a player is sold below his original cost before the end of his contract? Is the cost of the transfer then condensed into the period of his contract? And is this why clubs let expensive flops go out on loan endlessly rather than get a token fee for them. I don't think we've ever actually discussed mm. uh, this concept specifically, Kieran. What does happen when a player is sold below his original cost? Well, I, th- I think ben- Benjamin is absolutely correct in that sometimes a club will put a player out on loan for a year or two uh, in order to avoid showing a loss on sale. The reason why we tend to see profits uh, on player sales, and if if you take a look at the accounts of of clubs, that's, that's a regular feature. You very rarely see losses. Is that for the purposes of the accounts, the profit or loss on the sale of the player is not the difference between what you paid and what you sold the player for, which is what you would inherently expect it to do. So, for example, yeah, we think of Andy Carroll as not being a success as Liverpool because they bought him for thirty-five million and they sold him for fifteen. Um, but the the calculation is based on the the amortized value of the player at the date of sale. So, if we use Romelu Lukaku as as an example at Manchester United, Manchester United bought him for. £75 million in 2017 from Everton. Um, And he had a five-year contract, which meant that he was going to be amortised, or rather his contract was going to be amortised for £15 a year. They sold him two years later to Inter for 67. So you thought, well, we've bought him for 75. We've sold him for 67. That's a loss of £8 That's not very clever. The accountants come along. And they show a profit of twenty-two million pounds, and you go, "Hold on, how do you do that?" And what the accountant will have said is, "Well, we bought the player for seventy-five. 
We've amortized him for two years, so therefore his his accounting or his financial value is forty five million. Sold him for sixty seven, and, and we and we show a profit. And indeed, if you look at Manchester United's accounts for twenty nineteen, um, they they do show a, a fair profit on player sales. So I'm I'm not saying that the 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 figures aren't manipulated, but the figures are complete fantasy. You know, they bear no resemblance to reality. And uh, you know, I, I appreciate that it's it's. You know, my profession in theory uh, but i'm not saying it's shameful but but it is completely confusing has no logic whatsoever given the nature of the player trading model um and uh is i'm not saying it's open to manipulation but if if you're a club and you want to make a profit in in a particular year just, just give me a call and I'll tell you which players to sell and and, and, and which ones you'll, you'll make the profits on for, for your accounting purposes. And, and all of a sudden, things are being driven by FFP um, and an accountant rather than you know, a love of the game. Well, you've, you've answered my question, King, because I, I was going to ask you to clarify for those of us who don't have financial brains why it's so important to show profit when, of course, you'd be expecting a lot of tax to be paid on that. So it's all for FFP purposes in a particular yeah. season yeah okay um, we've started to see questions coming in specifically around different aspects of the uh, potential appointment of an independent regulator Kieran and I suspect we'll be asking at least one or two of these uh, a week for the foreseeable future and the first one comes from Ross Pennington and Ross says we've seen an increasing trend over the last decade of American owners including private equity funds buying into Premier League teams which has led to a lot of suspicion, especially from me, on the prospect of a closed shop division or even a breakaway league. Does the appointment of the new football regulator and the accompanying regulation mean that some of these owners will need to take big write-downs on their investment and could this have a knock-on impact down the line? And when I say especially from me, I mean me, Kevin, rather than me, Ross. <laughs> right. Um I, I, I think I've seen Ross. I think Ross is in Ohio, uh, and and he's bought a Price of Football shirt. I've seen that on I've seen it on some form of photograph. Oh, so, well, so well, well, thanks, thanks, Ross. I hope I hope, I hope you're scoring uh, uh, hat trick of, of worldies. <laughs> yeah, hat trick of worldies in walking football. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I felt I, that that refers to somebody who told us that they they wore our, our shirt and scored uh, a hat trick in their first five side game, which led to several unkind. Suggestions for people that then presumably it was walking football, knowing the average age of your audience. <laughs> yes, um, I think there there is nothing to worry about at the elite end of football in respect of the regulator, because the regulator is actually going to do, in my view, relatively little as far as the elite part of the game is concerned, apart from try to knock heads together uh, in in relation to the the financial redistribution um, taking a look at uh, t- taking a look at parachute payments and I, I was actually in a conversation before we did the show with with the chief executive of a club and he says um, the problem with parachute payments is that they've become trampoline payments and I think that's a very good way of, of yeah. describing them you know, there are too many clubs that are bouncing back and, and uh, that's why they, they need to be revisited rather than completely scrapped. Um, so I, I don't see US owners being put off. Um, the reason for this is that 
you know, we know that the regulator uh, was supported by the the Johnson regime, and yet it didn't stop American owners coming in to buy uh, Chelsea. Uh, we've seen new owners come in at Bournemouth, um, and that was under the Sunak regime. Again, that they were in favour of the regulator. So I, d- I don't see this as being a problem. In an ideal world, would some owners, if not the majority of owners, prefer a, a closed shop, a no relegation system? I think they would to begin with, and then they'd actually find that the value of, of their product, because if you're not one of the big six, you'll you just become the make-weights. You and I are probably old enough to remember the Harlem Globetrotters uh-huh. when they used to come to London. And then they go and play this bunch of, yeah, they're just tomato cans, effectively. Yeah, they're just there to, uh, they're just there to make up the numbers. And it didn't matter whether you won or lost a match. Um, the jeopardy that exists with relegation is actually part of the attractiveness of the Premier League because uh, you know, all of a sudden the matches which are taking place for West Ham, for Everton, for Leeds United are huge games every week. And that attracts people to attend matches. It attracts people to watch those matches on television because uh, you know, this afternoon, yeah, we're recording this on, on Sunday – Forest versus Everton, if it was the club uh, you know, 15th versus the club 18th, neither club have a chance of getting into Europe. Would people be watching? Possib- possibly not. There, there is extra interest in this because it has an impact upon relegation and the, you know, the jeopardy that goes with relegation. So I think people are underestimate just uh, how significant the, the concept of relegation makes to football. And indeed, when you talk to people in the MLS, they say, Actually, whilst we are a franchise system, we're really jealous of of what you've got in English football and and, and that that excitement because there's there's not many dead rubbers left in football these days. As a result of you know three going down, you've got four four fighting for the Champions League places. Um, you've got three clubs potentially fighting for the for the the lower uh, European competitions and so on. So I don't think it would actually have a negative impact upon on on the valuation because it increases the jeopardy and, and therefore uh, has some interest. At the same time, where else could the regulator have a neg- have a possible negative impact? Well, what we did see from the sneaky six uh, clubs who tried to join Super League is that they extracted more and more concessions from the other 14 clubs. Yeah, they had their own WhatsApp groups when there were Premier League meetings. You'd hear stories of them going off into a separate room and sort of sniggering away amongst themselves with the threat of, well, if you don't give us more money, and they'd be saying that to the likes of Steve Parrish and and Paul Barber and so on at our clubs, uh, unless you do give us more money from the next TV deal, we're going to leave. We're we're going to set up our Super League and uh, you won't have any chance of getting into Europe and... the whole of the whole of football, with the exception of our clubs, is is going to be worse off, and therefore they extracted those concessions. You know, and, and I personally would, would would be only too keen to reverse some of them. So I think that's the that's the only area where I think the regulator coming in and making it more difficult and more difficult is not the same as impossible because 
if the Glazer family decide to take Manchester United out of the Premier League to join a European Super League, that they are free to do so. And you know, I, I think it would upset Manchester United fans because if I was a Manchester United fan, even if I had the opportunity to play Barcelona and Real Madrid, the big matches for me would always be Liverpool, Leeds and Manchester City, perhaps Chelsea as well, because you've got you've got a bit of skin in the game. You've got a bit of history. Yeah, proper history against those clubs, whereas you haven't against the others. So um, the the benefits of the the closed shop, de-risking, guaranteed revenues, uh, you know, we saw that with Super League. We saw that to, to a partial extent with, with Project Big Picture, which was, you know, that was, you know, the Glazers, John Henry and, and Rick Parry, their idea to uh, you know, a smaller, smaller Premier League, there was going to be less less relegation because you'd have playoffs between the side finishing third bottom and so on. Um, yeah, that that's, that appeals to US owners, uh, but I, I I don't see it actually as as having a negative impact on value if if we go ahead with the regulator. I feel I should point out here that that relegation jeopardy is way less attractive when you're only six points above it, um, and also. Who wants to see? Who, you don't want to see the Harlem Globetrotters lose. In the unlikely event that my dad would stump up some money to take me to see the Harlem Globetrotters, and it was the only game they ever lost, I'd have been heartbroken. The whole point was that they took the mickey out of people, teased the referee, ruffled his hair, spanned the ball on their fingers, and we all went home happy. I'd have been imagine you'd be broken hearted, wouldn't you? I paid three, three and six, or how much it would have cost. Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Ian. McLaughlin, good, strong surname, obviously, as we know. Ian McLaughlin, and he has a question. I mean, this is very high on our list of top five um, subjects that our listeners are uh, <laughs> agitated about. Uh, it's about fake shirts. Um, and basically, Ian says, it used to be, these used to be something you came back from a holiday to Mallorca with, and they were clearly not genuine. Mm. Now it's very easy to buy a shirt online for a fraction of the price, in some cases is identical to the real thing. The amount of fans we saw at the last Euros were in 1996 England shirts, which suggests that a lot of people are buying them. My question is, and this is the question that we're always asked, how are the fake manufacturers doing it? Do they have people who will sell them the designs for a small backhander? And why don't the genuine manufacturers do anything about it? I was sure if I started selling T-shirts with three stripes on them, it wouldn't be long before I heard from Adidas, or trading standards? Is it because these shirts come from countries where there is little concern for copyright laws? I believe, Kieran, you once told us what the estimated value of the fake shirt market was, and it was an eye-opening sum of money, wasn't it? It, it is. Um, the, the the fake market is huge. It is growing all the time. And I, I think, as Ian was hinting at, it, it's down to two issues. First of all, if we look at it from a cost point of view, um, there, there's an organisation called Red Points, which did a survey, and it said that 90% of fans are unhappy with with the current pricing of football shirts. Yeah. Um, if you want uh, an authentic match shirt for a club such as Manchester United or Liverpool, you're, you're paying £100, £110 for a shirt. Now, my argument would go, well, more for you. You know, the... the, the you're not getting an extra 25, 30 pounds worth of value in terms of the material. And and you're also just wearing it down the pub with your mates, just as you would have done uh, beforehand. So you, you don't need an athletic cut. Um, 
So th- there is the issue of cost, and uh, there's an argument for saying that, that costs have been rising um, ahead of inflation, certainly ahead of wages. Uh, it, it, it is very expensive, especially if, you, if you're a family. You know, yeah, yeah. You've, you've got children. You, you absolutely understand. You know, the, the kids want them for their birthdays. They want them for Christmas. We, we now we – now, I don't know when this ever sort of became explicit, but – but it's only probably about five or six years ago that clubs would say, "Well, we'll, we'll change our shirts once every two seasons." Yeah. And now it's it's every season, and it's it's three shirts every season for an awful lot of clubs. And there are there are, are outliers. And I know that Brentford, for example, yeah. committed to a two year for their home shirt, and, and fair play to them for that. Um, but there is a cost issue, and, and then there's a quality issue, and, and the quality of the fake shirts is is really good. Yeah. Um, and, and that's because. It is now very easy to get hold of a shirt as soon as it comes out, or yeah, we the, the the football shirt website market is is a very lucrative one, and you know clubs go to huge lengths to try to uh, not reveal or not have their shirts revealed early. But yeah, there's there is always somebody working at a designer who who will get offered. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you a grand if you give me a if you give me a, a mock-up of the shirt, and as soon as they get, as soon as you get that mock-up, or as soon as you get hold of a snide, you know, not, not even a snide version, you know, a, 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 a an approved version, um, and and they do creep out, then you quickly get that to a to a factory. And remember, yeah, the, the shirts themselves are manufactured in 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 Asian markets. Well, th- there's plenty of other yeah Asian factories. And this, and this isn't a criticism of people in Asia because you know if you're if you're a if you're a textile manufacturer, somebody comes along and says, "Yeah, I'll I'll give you a deal for five thousand Snide Manchester United shirts." Well, you just do it, and and because there isn't money going uh, in terms of intellectual property uh, from the manufacturer to the the club itself, then then you can sell them uh, at cheaper prices. And isn't there a case for us saying that it's a victimless crime in the sense that okay, you know, I'm giving money to some bloke on eBay. The the, the piracy people say, well, that, you know, that could be organised crime. Yes, you're absolutely right. It, it could be organised crime, and then there's no doubt there are some pretty unsavoury people involved in this. But yeah, I'm getting it for thirty quid in, instead of seventy. Uh, I, I have got. Yeah, you know, I've got two or three kids. That that makes a huge difference. Um, we're also seeing, as a result of social media, eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Weibo, WeChat, WhatsApp. Yeah, we're all on groups. So, you know, I, I get my all of my piracy, uh, snide, uh, fire stick information from from social media. Yeah, WhatsApp groups. Now, I, I I don't do it myself, but I'm not going to condemn people who who do do it because they say, well, yeah, I, I can't afford because once again, there's a pricing issue. The the broadcasters offer a very good service, but it's an expensive service, and some people are being priced out of that market. Similarly, with with football shirts, if the price which was you know it was forty quid, which then became fifty. Then for the elite clubs, it very quickly sort of leapt to seventy. Then they introduced the authentic shirts at a hundred. Well, it's something which you're you're going to replace in twelve months when they bring out a new shirt. You're not even going to get two years worth of wear out of it. Um, 
it's it's an increasing market because it's lucrative and the prices that are being charged for the product frankly are not justified in in terms of the quality of the materials that you're buying i think though kieran of the questions that ian asked the one that most people will be saying is why don't the genuine manufacturers seem to do anything about this well that they are i mean they they have they remember trading standards um as far as uh that's concerned we've had central and local government cuts ah yeah that, that we, we don't we don't have trading standards in you know in, in all but name right because you and i we, we both can go down uh yeah we, we can go down oxford street yeah and, and yeah, yeah. We, we'll see what, we'll see blokes with yeah and, and we're not it, it, we're not in the 1970s but it feels like the 1970s there are blokes with stalls and you go that that is a really that's an absolutely appalling mock-up of a Chelsea shirt or yeah. an Arsenal shirt, but there's there's no sign of anybody coming in to try to to address that. Um, so the the authorities, uh, as far as central and local government are concerned, are are under resourced, so they don't do it, um, and therefore it comes down to the Premier League or individual clubs or the manufacturers to effectively use private means to to try to to take on these people, which which they do, but to a certain extent they're playing whack a mole. You, you, you've only got to look at uh, you know, Am- Amazon, um, and if I'm trying to buy a certain product, there's an awful lot of very very similar products around um, from manufacturers who I've never heard of. Uh, now it's I, I don't know. If there's any intellectual property issues being broken, but uh, it, it, it's actually very, very difficult to police because we've got such a broad and such a fluid market for sellers these days. I was in town a couple of days ago between Oxford Circus Tube and Carnaby Street, which is what four hundred yards, five hundred yards at most. Mm-hmm. There were three stalls, um, and these were, these were proper stalls. These were these were blokes mm. with a few scarves or shirts draped over their arm. They're, they're proper stalls set up in a, a a proper way. So yeah, it's 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 interesting because you, you you don't see them being stopped or arrested. Not that you necessarily want to, but so you, you can understand why people think that they are just getting away with it without the likes of Adidas trying to stop them. Um, we don't like going over the hour mark, Kieran, or you know, producer guy seems to think that there's some kind of double time thing going on. Which there isn't. Because for double time, you need to be paid time, first of all. Uh, but our last question brings us back to Manchester United. And I, I think I know the answer to this question, Kieran, because it seems to me that it should be obvious. But I've been really intrigued to hear what you say. And it comes from Adam Bull. Uh, and Adam says that Manchester United's share price fell when Cristiano Ronaldo first said he wanted to leave. Is there anything to stop players from shorting their football club shares and then causing the share price to drop? By asking for a transfer, would this be seen as a type of insider trading? Now, my initial guess at an answer to this would be that the law would stop them doing this, Kieran. But I, I don't know. But could you just explain to us exactly what shorting means before you actually answer the question? Yes, the concept of shorting is that in the stock market, you normally have ten days to finish a trade now the, the, the rules have changed it's slightly more complicated than that so what it is possible to do conceivably is to sell something before you buy it 
And what you say is that, okay, Kevin, I agree to sell you 500 shares in Manchester United. Um, and we will do that at uh, at at today's uh, price um, of let's let's say that today's price is ten pounds a share. I don't actually owe own five hundred Manchester United shares, but I've agreed to sell them to you. And I say I'll give you the shares in in forty eight hours. And you go, yes, okay, that's fine. And then what happens? I announce. Oh, by the way, um, Manchester United scandal. Uh, you, you know, uh, Rashford, Rashford's going to leave on a free transfer because he's got he's got a he's, he's just found a dodgy clause in his contract. Uh, Bruno Fernandez is uh, has got a career-ending injury, and uh, Ten Hag is 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 missing uh, is, is missing the waffles and wants to go back to uh, <laughs> wants to go back to the Netherlands. So and you go, oh blimey! Uh, and, and I announced that on social media because I haven't been the heads up, and the share price falls and. I've got to supply you with 500 shares in Manchester United. The share price falls. I then buy those shares at £7 each and 48 hours later say, here you are, Kevin, here's your shares, which you agreed to pay £10 for. I've gone and subsequently bought them for £7. So so shorting the market is where you are selling shares that you don't actually physically own. And in between the time of you selling them and physically giving them or or transferring the ownership to the other party, uh, the share price has dropped, and, and you've gone in and bought them. So, so that's that's how that that operates. Is there anything to stop Cristiano Ronaldo doing that? The answer is no, because oh. he's 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 not an executive of the football club. So, um, I I don't see any reason why that should be an issue. And the reason why he wouldn't do it is because he doesn't need the money. Right. You know, fr- you know, fr- frankly, you know, it's 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 just he's he's, he's a wealthy enough individual. Um, so I, I do not see this being um, of uh, an issue for the player. Now, if it was done by an executive of the football club, they they are held to, uh, in my view, a, a slightly different set of rules than uh, than a mere employee. Um, so if it was done by the Glazer family, then I think they could be accused of of insider trading because they would have had access to the information um, and they, they've taken advantage of it. When it when it gets a bit murky is and, and this is where it's, I think I, I, I do feel uncomfortable, there is a certain degree of snobbery and elitism when it comes to the stock market. Because if we take the the case of Kieran Trippier, um, when he was uh, planning to leave, I think he was leaving Spurs to go to Milan. Yeah, um, he told his he told some mates on a WhatsApp group, um, if you're uh, if, if if you're thinking of betting on where I might end up next, um, yeah, Milan wouldn't be a bad choice. Yeah. And he ended up with, I think, a ten or a thirteen month, thirteen week ban yeah. as a result of that, because that was deemed to be um, targeting and and def- effectively defrauding uh, bookmakers, whom for whom I, I personally have very little sympathy. Um, so yeah, th- there are double standards when it comes to this, because I don't think it would apply to a stock market, or and also the vast majority of football clubs. Their shares aren't traded on stock market, so so you wouldn't be able to short the market anyway. is is a separate issue. But I I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo, if he was planning to leave the club, um, this this wouldn't be uh, this wouldn't be an issue. If he told other people 
then I think we perhaps could be slightly more murkier position. Do you know what I really enjoyed about the answer to that question, Kieran? I mean, apart from the insight, obviously, and the information, was that, uh, as we know, producer Guy listens uh, to the pod before it goes out, just in case we've said something we shouldn't legally, and he would have been having kittens. When you were finding reasons why Rashford and Fernandes may have been leaving Man United, he would have been convinced that you were going to say something slanderous that he'd have to take out. And then Ten Hag, that, that gap between you saying Ten Hag and missing the waffles was just lovely. <laughs> just the sigh of relief that producer guy will come out with when the, it turns out that in this fictional world, Ten Hag's leaving because he misses the waffles. Um, if you would like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you. You can do that by joining the many people who do so and go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We will be back with our next episode of the show on Thursday with all your football finance news. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell, which I believe is preceded by an announcement. Yes, the Price of Football Live is coming to the great city of Leicester on the 11th of May. Um, we're doing a benefit gig for the charity Memphis. M- Memphis is is a fantastic cause. It, uh, it, it raises money, but more importantly, it provides opportunities for children and young people with disabilities. Um, it does after-school clubs. It offers them sporting chances. It, it It's just great. Um, and uh, my very good friend Liam is is connected with this. Uh, he he's an absolute trooper, and uh, I I met up with uh, I met up with him when Brighton played at Leicester uh, a few weeks ago, uh, and he'd said at the time, uh, and any chance of just just giving a talk to a few people? And I said, well, let, let me have a word with Kevin. Yeah, let let do the price of football live. Hopefully, we'll be able to sell a few more tickets. Tickets are just twelve pounds, by the way. Twelve pounds, and you know, the money's going to a good cause. Yeah, you know, we ain't we ain't we ain't charging a fee for this. Yeah, you know, we want to help out. Um, and so, uh, if you go to the Memphis, I think it's Memphis.org uh, website, uh, or just follow us on social media, we we will be marketing it, and um, we'll come along, and it'll be a hoot. You know, it'll be. We'll start off with sort of a normal podcast, have a, wee, have a half-time break, and then there'll be a Q&A. So for those of you that have had questions that you've sent in to produce a guy and you've waited six months and you've got absolutely nowhere, um, there's, a, there's a far greater chance that we'll be able to answer them on the night. And, of course, we'll, we'll be in the bar afterwards for a, for a chat as well. So if you want to come along, but most importantly, come along to support this fantastic cause, we'd be absolutely delighted. Uh, we would. Do, and would you like to do your customary farewell now as well, or have you exhausted yourself? <laughs> well, and if and if, and if you if you want to give the the show a bit of support, Patreon's one way. Um, another way is go on go on to that app of yours, um, and, and to give us a review. Um, I, I was watching, uh, I was watching BBC Four, and Top of the Pops nineteen eighty three came up with Dave Kidd Jensen and John Peel, um, and. Uh, Number one was was total eclipse of the heart, the the antithesis, the of of everything I love in music. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Bonnie Tyler and Martin Tyler because it's going to be the price of football and it's live. <laughs> I got very drunk with Bonnie Tyler one night. Uh, 
but that's the story <laughs> I'll share at the live gig in Leicester. Um, <laughs> Dave Kid Jensen, of course, a Palace fan. Um, one of the nicest people. You thought he was No, no, Palace fans. He might have started as QPR fan, but he was uh, on the, he was an unofficial director at one stage. So. Very, uh, very, very nice chap. Well, bye, everybody. Yes. Bye. The I'm for the